Welcome back to Hardcore Penn State Football. Sean and I are back for a live show. Obviously, last week we had Mitch Gerber interview. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. I will be kind of recapping a little bit of that. But if you haven't checked that out, please, please do. That was a really insightful interview by Mitch Gerber. A lot to talk about today. Recruiting, some decommits, some possible new commits. Last batch is going on full string. And hey, it's August 1st. Football camp officially has started here at State College. Let's get right into the show, everybody. Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me early on this beautiful August 1st Monday morning is Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Happy August, Corey. Doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, vacation is over for me, but it's just starting for you. So we're kind of just tagging and tagging out. We are very grateful that you're able to spend some of your Monday morning vacation with us, Sean. I know. Um, there's nothing more you'd rather do on your first day of vacation than talk Penn State football with me. That's right. I mean, it's the first day of my vacation, but it's also the second day of Penn State tra- of Penn State summer camp. So, still have a lot to talk about, right? Right. Yeah. Let's uh, gather around the campfire, and I just can't believe it's August first. And now some people, me included, have birthdays in August, and so this is a very exciting month. For a lot of different reasons. Um, But most importantly, we have football in a month. So that's really cool. Obviously, camp is now started. There's some question marks. Um, Maybe we'll get into a little bit today. Obviously, more in the the next couple episodes regarding what we should be looking for in camp. Um, But football is here, ladies and gentlemen. If you guys have been listening since March or since February... Since whenever you, Sean joined the show, we've been really focused on Penn State football uh, for the last six months now. And you guys have hung around and, and, and been great, so we appreciate that. But all of that um, listening and, and podcasting has paid off because we are finally at the beginning of the 2022 football season. So it's an exciting time. I'm excited. You're excited. We have some things to catch up on um, and some recruiting stuff, but... Again, as we get closer to the football season, I just want to remind everybody, um, we're going to try to do two shows a week during the actual football season. So we're going to try to do a Sunday show and a Thursday episode. Uh, Sunday, more of a recap. Thursday, more of a preview. Um, So so keep that in mind as we kind of get closer. So you're going to have double the trouble uh, during the actual regular season. Sean, I'm sure you're excited about that. Oh, very excited. Um, and we're probably, they're probably all going to be pretty jam packed shows. So I'm 
I actually recently told my girlfriend, so I'm going to be doing two podcasts a week now. And she's like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, hopefully that was the right kind of great. Hopefully that oh, was the right kind of great. She's super excited. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah she's laying in bed right now. So <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe limit the podcast on vacation, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I said the same thing to mine and she said, I really just. Just do whatever. Like, just don't talk <laughs> right. to me as much. Um, so she's always happy that I go into my little co- closet up here where the audio is good and, and get away. Well, Sean, um, last week we had the Mitch Gerber interview. Again, thank you, Mitch, for for coming on talking to me. Again, it's kind of last minute. We recorded that before I went on vacation. Um, what did you think of that? If you haven't watched it yet, guys. I really recommend it. There's a lot of stuff about name, image, and likeness, about his time at Penn State, about his relationship with, relationships with Sean Clifford, um, about how he's building a brand with his new company, J1S. Well, it's not really his, but the company he's working for now, about his future company that he wants to have and, and the branding he wants to do for not just players but for coaches. There's just a lot of really good stuff in there. Uh, I really recommend you check that out at your earliest convenience. But, Sean, I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I thought it was good to learn about NIL from somebody's perspective um, who's doing it. And, well, while we talk about what we think of it, um, that there's a lot of stuff that we just don't have as much knowledge on as somebody like him who not, who works in it and whose job it is to know it inside and out. Um, so I thought he had a lot of interesting um Points. I had no idea he was ever at the University of Florida before, uh, before he went to Penn, before he worked at Penn State, and I figured he'd have good things to say about Penn State, James Franklin, Sean Clifford, because he did always seem, and I know it was his job, but he did always seem really invested in the program. So it was cool that you had him, and I really hope that uh, if people haven't seen it yet, that they check it out. Yeah, yeah, I think he summed it up best. There's a lot of cool things in there about conference realignment, too, and what his thoughts were on all of it. So uh, really recommend. He was really easy to talk to, really easy to interview with. So please, please, please check out that interview. Um, Sean, do you want to go bad news or good news on the recruiting trail first? I'm one of those people that always like the bad news first. Okay, well, let's do bad news first. Um, first of all, I am going to admit defeat. Because we said five, we put the over under at five and a half for commits from the last week of June to the end of July. And here we are on August 1st, and we did not get to that six commits. Um, I think we ended up at five, but there's a little asterisk there because we ended up losing Stokes and Yazid Haynes um, in the month of July. And of course, Haynes now tr- uh, committing to Georgia. So. Even though we didn't say decommits counted, I feel like having two decommits um, kind of at least should count for one of those. Plus, maybe didn't get all the guys we were hoping. Trajan Webb we didn't get. Um, Selden we didn't get. Moore we didn't get. So there, there's a couple guys there that, that I was thinking Penn State was going to snag that were unable to. That would have gotten me over six. So, Sean, I'm here to admit defeat. You you took the cake on this one. What can I say? <laughs> um, it was while it was still a good month for us. Yeah, it was a, it fell a little short of expectations. 
um, and what could have been. But the good news is, from what I understand, I don't think we're totally out of it for Cam Seldon, so maybe look out for that. Maybe look out for us to possibly come back around. But, yeah, losing Stokes, uh, losing Haynes now, that hurts. Um, But that happens in recruiting. And you'll have good days, you'll have bad days. We're still the number, I believe I saw the number eight class in the country. And while we still got to get some commitments to stay in that top ten, I still like where this class is at right now. And there's a lot of good talent coming in. And we're going to continue to amass good talent. Yeah, the only other guy I should have mentioned um, that I think we should talk about a little bit more Thought maybe there's going to be a commit from offensive tackle Evan Link. That hasn't happened yet. And as of lately, there is a public knowledge crystal ball pick on 24-7 in for Michigan. So that's not really the the end of July I wanted to see. I thought maybe this last week Evan Link was going to be committing to Penn State. And like you mentioned, you texted me a couple of days ago, like, it's been really quiet and that scares me. And and Evan Link always kept it pretty close to his chest as far as what his thoughts were. But now it looks like Penn State's going to miss out on Evan Link. And there's a lot of other offensive tar- offense lineman targets out there. Um, and obviously the 2023 class has a bunch of really good offensive line prospects already committed. Um, but this this one kind of stinks a little bit, especially if it ends up at Michigan, Sean. Right. And like you said, Link is a pretty quiet kid. Um, so it was always hard to and difficult to gauge what his thoughts were and like you said i texted you a couple days ago i don't like when things are trending penn state's way and nothing happens for an extended period of time especially when you have a kid who's very quiet doesn't like to talk very much and now you have we have one crystal ball in for michigan so it's a concern but i wouldn't say penn state's out of it by any stretch uh, the confidence uh meter is only at five so that's encouraging um so yeah don't get too discouraged yet but it's not really trending penn state's way right now sean you're always the one that keeps me on you know keeps me from jumping off the cliff or or leaning too far you you know when things are really good i'm all for it and you're like well maybe calm down a little bit when things are going a little bit towards the the bad side of things. You're always like, well, it's not as bad as it seems. So we appreciate that. We're, we appreciate you being our rock, Sean. Um, <laughs> Zed Haynes, to me, was a big disappointment because even though he was technically lower on, the, I think, 24-7 sports' rankings, I really liked him. He decommitted from Rutgers, committed to Penn State. I was like, dude, I like this guy a lot. A lot of speed. He came to that one camp, I think, in June – and maybe it was even before June, and really turned it on and impressed the coaches. I thought him and Stokes had a pretty good relationship. Um, Yeah, it just kind of stinks because I I think he was going to end up being a four-star guy when it's all said and done. Clearly, Georgia liked him because Georgia ends up getting him, and anytime Georgia's taking a player at this point, you know that um, he's probably going to end up being a pretty good player. So not the tallest of dudes, um, but a guy from – sort of Penn State's recruiting area that you would hope to hold on to, but Georgia's pretty good as far as going out and getting whoever they want right now. Yeah, Eugene Haynes, uh, like you said, it was 
a little surprising. You did hear some whispers that maybe he that maybe there was some Georgia interest there, and Georgia was interested in him. And it was it is disappointing to lose him. His he kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, London Montgomery in that he was a very late riser. And I agree with you. It wouldn't shock me at all to see him become a four star guy. He just kind of came on the scene late, and now he got he had a offer from the defending national champions, and he jumped on it. So good for him. Uh, but Penn State, I really would like to see them take probably two more receivers now in this class because they only have one in the Johnny Shakir. Yeah. And so we have an idea where we're going to maybe where Penn State might be going with the receivers uh, as far as uh, Carmelo Taylor or, or who else is on the radar now? Well, I got to look out for is Micah Mays. Um, and like you said, Carmelo Taylor, um, Carmelo Taylor, I believe he recently pushed back his his uh, commitment plans. He was originally slated to commit, I believe, at the end of July. Uh, so obviously he didn't do that. And he is somebody that the talk has always been. He's probably going to, even if he committed in the summer, he is probably going to take all his fall official visits. So that was never going to be over. While he's a South Carolina lean right now, Penn State could very well jump back in. Penn State is not out of the picture by any stretch. And uh, Micah Mays is somebody from uh, Florida, and he's committing on August 10th. It looks like Wake Forest is the leader there. So look out for both of those guys. But um, James Franklin's probably going to have to get a little creative uh, with the receiver position and finding two more receivers to add to this class. Right, and I don't think it's the end of the world, depending on how many they end up with. They got a bunch of receivers from the last class. So there's a lot of young talent. I know you want to take so many every cycle, but it's not like they are in desperate need of a bunch of new wide receivers. They've got a bunch of guys, and then they even took a bunch of guys like like a Christian driver that if you needed to, you could switch him to receiver if the depth really needed it. So I'm not too overly concerned there, but... Obviously, they they should at least get one more, maybe maybe two. Um, you mentioned Selden, and Selden was another guy too that he was probably going to visit Penn State for a for a whiteout game or, or some sort of game in the fall. So there's a chance that he comes back. So him, Taylor, two guys that that will probably be visiting Penn State in the fall. Um, Keys, Kavon Keys, linebacker Kavon Keys. He was he's committing this month, I believe, in the next couple of weeks or a couple two weeks or so. Uh, between us and North Carolina, Penn State obviously already has two pretty good linebacker-ish prospects in Rojas and Robinson. Um, but if they could get keys, that would be kind of the, you know, the triple dip, if you will. Probably still a North Carolina lean. Have you, Sean? Have you heard anything extra from Keys lately? One might say it would be key to get keys. Yeah, yeah. that's too early. For uh, that. <laughs> yeah. I, I like where Penn State is with Kavion Keys right now. And when we've previously talked about him, I always kind of gave the edge to North Carolina. I don't know if I would anymore, though. That official visit seemed to, uh, according to the 24-7 podcast, um, the Lions 24-7 podcast, seemed to really, really impress him and could have potentially swayed him toward Penn State. Now, there's a lot of time between uh, now and late August when he's deciding. 
and he could always move it up. Um, but I kind of, I probably give Penn State the edge right now. So that's a tremendous credit to Penn State's uh, recruiting staff and uh, coaching staff for number one, making sure that he got on campus because that was a, that was a big thing with him, and potentially sealing the deal. Now they didn't do it yet. But I do like where Penn State is right now, and uh, while it's while it will definitely be a close call. You know, it's it's like the opposite of what you were just saying. As far as you don't like when Penn State's trending for too long, and not getting the commitment, it's the same thing kind of with Keys, right? I mean, Keys was trending North Carolina for over a month now, exactly, um, and that hasn't happened. So you're kind of like, well, if it hasn't happened, like, well, what's kind of going on? I mean, it's like if. You know, you're you're trying to ask a girl out to prom, and she says maybe, and then you're like, well, okay. And it was trending, yes, for a while there, but then you're like, is there, is there someone else that she's waiting for to ask? I mean, you know, what, what's going on there? So, um, who knows? But yeah, I agree. I think the longer this goes out, the more Penn State maybe is in the battle for it. So that's an interesting one. Um, what else do we need to talk about, Sean? That well, I guess we can talk about the quarterback position now. So. They had a couple quarterbacks up, I guess, this past week at a camp, the last bash, um, and looks like there might be a, a crystal ball in for a new Penn State quarterback in 2023 class. Um, what are your thoughts? On, and it's a guy, Sean, who, to your credit, you were hinting at for like two months now, or basically whenever Stokes decommitted. Yeah, it's uh, Jackson Smolik, who, um, of course, we have talked about on this podcast. Um, and, excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, uh, Jackson Smolik, he's from, he's from out in Iowa, and he really blew up at the uh, Elite 11 camp. And he is a Tulane commit currently. And, again, you're probably wondering why are we after Tulane commit. And he's gotten interest from a lot of different places. He added Cal. He got a Cal Berkeley offer immediately after the Elite Eleven camp, and he's drawn interest from Penn State, uh, Virginia Tech, and LSU. Don't know if Virginia Tech and LSU offered, but he has gotten interest from them. And he recently was at Penn State uh, this past weekend for the Lash Bash, and he seemed to have really impressed. So, I think the issue with him. And he's a very accurate quarterback. I think Penn State was a little leery on possibly offering him because of his arm strength. But apparently he did well enough at uh, Lash Bash, and they saw enough on film to feel comfortable in offering him. So I think this would be this could really be a diamond in the rough commit. And you could see him move up the recruiting rankings quite a bit. Uh, I, I really, really do. As long as people believe in his arm strength and if his arm strength is good enough he's definitely accurate enough to uh, be in the big to be a big 10 quarterback and if his arm strength is there then i i think this he could be a really uh solid uh, prospect for penn state to be bringing in yeah and he was part of the elite 11 too and 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 did pretty well there so you get off you know you get invited to the elite 11 you're not a bad quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it doesn't look like he has an LSU offer yet. But, yeah, I think this is a guy who, and again, how many times has Penn State ahead of everyone else? Not everyone, obviously. To, 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 to Tulane's credit, that's hard to say, to Tulane's credit. Um, 
But usually Penn State is one of the first FBS or Power 5 schools to go after some of these quarterback guys. Um, and that's dating before even Mike Yurcich. So they do a good job in finding these quarterbacks before they've really blossomed and before the camp circuits and before they've gone too crazy. Um, obviously, it's not the exact same case with Smolik, but it was kind of the same case with Stokes. It was obviously the same case with Fields. Um, yeah, I, or even all or to a certain degree. Um, I, I trust the the coaching staff as far as is this guy going to turn out now? Is there a lot of depth? Yes. Who knows, you know, when or will he ever play at Penn State? But they want to get a quarterback in every cycle because of basically what happened last year. We should just call it the the Taekwon effect. Um, you want to have depth just in case. And if, if they feel like this is the guy, uh, obviously he's not going to be Marcus Stokes, but I think he'll do good enough. And I'm not... You're not looking for the next, you know, coming of Jesus here. You're just trying to find a guy who, if you needed, he could step up and make some plays for you. Um, and, and I think that's the case with Mr. Smolik. I think so, too. And, and who knows who's going to do what at the next level. Uh, Jackson Smolik could be better than Marcus Stokes at the next level. We really, we really don't know. And I... I'm all for, I'm not one of these people who think, oh, well, recruiting doesn't matter. And you could put together a class of three-star guys that could beat the five-star guys. And look at all these guys drafted. And No, no you have to be able to recruit at an elite level. Is Jackson Smolk an elite-level prospect? No, but he could end up being a good, he could end up being a very, very good college quarterback. Uh, but it's about getting the elite talent everywhere else and having more four and five star guys and three star guys uh, in in the aggregate so i'm i'd be fine with taking small as long as they're comfortable with his arm strength i'm totally cool with taking him and i i think he could be i i i know he's accurate enough uh from what i read he seems to be decently athletic so I think that's needed in today's recruit in today's uh, college football world. And I'm also a pretty firm believer that you need to bring in a quarterback every cycle, or you could potentially, and especially in today's day and age, or you could potentially see uh, something like what happened against Iowa last year. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to talk about that too much. I did think it was interesting. Well, no, I won't talk about that. Um, if you're paying for the, 24-7 sports subscription. There's an interesting quote in there um, or or what he did on his visit, which I thought was interesting, but we'll not share that. Go read the article. Um, let's move on, Sean. I think that's enough recruiting for right now. Um, obviously, things are going to things are gonna heat up for the next probably two, three weeks as far as recruiting is concerned, and then they're going to probably get a little quieter. So the people that want to commit before their personal high school senior season starts – are going to do that in the next three weeks or so. And then there's going to be the people that don't want to commit basically until after the season. Um, and maybe there's going to be some silent commits in there. Maybe somebody will commit, you know, after or what we saw before a home football game. Um, but typically a lot of the guys want to get it done after or before. So um, just kind of keep that in mind. Obviously keys would be a huge one. Um, and, and maybe even another offensive line commit. Um, but we'll, we'll keep that up. To, you know, we'll keep uh, our focus on that. Let's move on. Um, we had some fan questions. 
Again, thank you guys for the fan questions. Again, you guys have been fantastic with your fan questions and everything else lately. If you drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read that on the show. Um, but you can find us on Twitter at HardcorePSUFB. And you can submit us a question there. You can submit us a question on Facebook as well. Uh, we have two today, Sean. The first one, a little bit more. Well, let's do the abstract one first. This is from Stone Manges on Twitter. What is your favorite Penn State jersey? Now, this is pretty broad, so I'm assuming it's okay to go outside of football. Uh, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to go with the Penn State hockey gray jerseys. I always liked those. I always liked when they wore those. I thought those were pretty sweet. Um, if you were allowed to choose a non-real jersey, I would. I love the photoshopped black and pink Penn State jerseys, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, maybe it happens against Minnesota. We made that joke before. Um, but I would go Penn State gray hockey jerseys. Obviously, I think the grays are going to be a pretty common pick here. Sean, where would you go? I actually really like the pink and black basketball uniforms. Just think they're cool. Uh, they are the original Penn State colors. I hear from non-Penn State fans a lot. Why are they wearing pink and black uniforms? It's just because they're the original uh, colors. And I also, uh, I hear you on the gray hockey jerseys. Those are really, really nice. Um, I also like the throwback Penn State uh, football uniforms. Just think they're cool. Um, I'm not, sh- I don't think I would make them permanent because we have such nice uniforms right now that are tradition and every, and I, I like the uniform tradition. Um, but I really, really like the throwbacks. I think every year they do a really good job of making them look really cool while still respecting the, um, the traditionalist opinion. I've never really heard a traditional, a, a, tr- a true hardcore traditional Penn State fan that gets angry about the um, the throwback uniforms that they wear. Yeah, some people complain about specific parts that they don't like. Like, I know a lot of people don't like the white cleats, especially since the only time they wore them, they lost. But that's okay. okay. Um, I like those a lot, too, Sean. I really wish they'd keep the socks or they'd wear the socks more often. I also really wish they put the numbers back on the helmet permanently. Um, but, no, I like those uniforms, too. I not the hugest fan of the block lettering on those as far as the numbers are concerned. Um, but obviously it, it fits with the whole, the whole point of the uniform, but I'm glad they don't have the block lettering anymore. I will say this as far as like, if we're just going to go like normal uniforms, my favorite, it's hard to beat the true white away uniforms. I just, there's something about them being on the road and we are wearing all white it just it just fits, and I don't know. It just you know, Penn State is playing obviously home or away, but I really think you know when you're playing on the road. Everybody knows they're playing against Penn State when when Penn State's on the road because those all white unis, um, just so clean. I I also love the all white. Uh, I don't think you can really go wrong with them. Um, I agree with you, too. I think they should just keep the numbers on the helmets permanently. In the early 70s, they had them on the, as, as yeah, as recently, I mean, I know it's not recent, but in Joe Paterno's tenure, they 
early on, they did have the numbers on the helmets. And I just think it's a cool look. Uh, there aren't too many schools that have them. And it is part, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here at Penn State. We've had them on the on the helmets before. So that's a change I'd like to see. Yep, yep, yep. Well, thank you, Stone, for that question. Let's go to our second question, again, on Twitter. Blake, Blakely Devin, De- Devin O. Blakely, with this question. What is the ceiling for this team if the offensive line and linebacker positions pull their weight? Thank you for the question, Devin or Devon. I know it can be pronounced either way. Um, I saw that name. I immediately thought of Devon Smith, um, the little guy who played at Penn State, I guess, in 20. I don't know what that was, 2010, 2011. Um, But anywho, this question, I feel like it's not a very, very fair question, to be fair, because if the linebackers and if the offensive line pull their weight, those are probably the two biggest question marks going into the 2022 season. Will the offensive line open up a little bit more holes? Will the linebacker depth be figured out and be at least good enough to cover anything and let the basically stop the run enough just so that Penn State's awesome secondary can can be in some really good um, opportunistic situations? If you say the biggest two issues are not going to be issues for Penn State. I think you just want me to say it, and I will say it. If those two things are not issues, let's just not say they're amazing. Let's just say they're non-issues. I think, and he said ceiling, correct? Yeah, ceiling. Not the floor, the ceiling. I'm going to give you the floor first. The floor is 10 wins, if that's the case. The ceiling is an appearance in the college football playoff. I mean, that's just the truth to it. Now, you're going to make people going to be like, whoa, 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 super biased here, like your way. But here, listen to the question. The two biggest concerns for Penn State, offensive line and the linebacker depth, if both of those are non-issues, if they hold their weight, if they pull their weight, where are the issues going to be for Penn State? You could argue maybe running back on offense, and you could maybe argue defensive line depth because there's not some unproven guys there. But, Sean, I think you agree that the defensive line is probably going to be okay. And if Jonathan Sutherland all of a sudden shocks the world and is an amazing outside linebacker, which, by the way, neither of us think that's going to be the case. But if someone else steps up, even an Abdul Carter or or someone else, and Kobe King or Tyler, Tyler Ellison in the middle is really good and Curtis Jacobs has an All-American type season, the defense is going to be good. Defense is going to be maybe not as good as last year, but maybe just as good or maybe just a smidgen less. And the offense has to be better than last year based off of the offense line pulling their weight. They were already pretty close to winning 10 games last year. I think the floor is 10. You get a couple lucky bounces your way because that's sometimes what it takes to win the Big Ten. The playoff playoff appearances is a ceiling. I don't necessarily, Devon, think that's going to be the case. I would just like to remind everybody that in 2016, even without linebacker depth, they were able to win the Big Ten championship. But you can see what happens when you don't have linebacker depth if you go back and watch the Michigan game in 2016. So linebacker depth is a – we've seen it happen. We've seen it literally bite Penn State in the butt before, and it's very possible it happens again. So 
I think it's something to not overlook because I think it's something that is very much going to be an issue for Penn State this year. But if those things magically weren't issues, I think you got to say the floor is 10. The ceiling is a playoff appearance. Sean, I'll let you uh, get your two cents in. So the ceiling. Uh, I think the floor would be 9 to 10 wins. The ceiling would probably be, and I think we're afraid, I think Penn State fans could be afraid to say it, but it probably would be the college football playoff uh, would probably be 11 wins or possibly 12. It's hard to go undefeated in today's day and age, probably 11 to 12 wins. And that would all depend on a few things. So that's my answer for the ceiling. Let me talk about what's realistic, what I really think would happen. And I got to say, I am skeptical to believe Sean Clifford could be good enough. And even some of the playmaking on the outside and at running back is good enough to make the college football playoffs. I think the defense could be good enough. Um, but you need those playmakers. You need those guys to be able to answer the bell when the time is needed and make a big play for you. And I, I, I'm not sure if we have enough of that. Um, and I'm not sure if Sean Clifford could be good enough to make the college football playoffs. And I'm just being honest. It's not supposed to be a diss at Cliff or anything. It's, it's just reality. I, he has a tendency to have turnovers in big spots. Um, and I just wonder if he could if he could get it done at that level and get it done to get us there. And you brought up 2016, and Trace was the quarterback. And 2017, Trace was the quarterback. And to be and Pete never made the playoffs, but you always felt like he could get it done. Always. And I don't know if I have that same confidence with Clifford. And like I said, it's not supposed to be a diss at him. I think we would be able to win a lot of games and potentially make the playoffs because he might be good. He might make enough plays to get us there. But I also just wonder if he could get us to that spot. I think realistic would probably be, I think realistic would be 10 wins. And a bowl game, maybe win the Rose Bowl, and we get to 11 and 2. So, ceiling playoffs, realistic expectations, probably 10. Yeah. We're going to save, I don't know what week we're going to do it, Sean, because I would like to preview Purdue and be focused on Purdue mostly uh, for for the week, I guess it would be the 28th, leading up to that, that first game on the Thursday night. Um, so maybe the 21st, we come back with kind of like our true season preview and predictions and whatnot. So that would be one, two, three weeks from now. So I don't want to go too much into what you're talking about as far as what will realistically happen. But I think it's a good question because basically, you know, if everything's rainbows and lollipops and sunshine everywhere, Maybe this team can be really good. And I think that's the funny thing about this team. And and you could argue that was the same case in 2016. Nobody knew in 2016 how good they were going to be. I mean, there's a lot of question marks around Trace McSorley at this point um, heading into the 2016 season, especially after the Pitt game. 
um, and if Trace McSorley was really going to be the guy. Um, you could argue that Sean Clifford has a better resume up to this point than Trace McSorley had going into 2016. Obviously, he's played a lot more. But, I mean, you think about he has won some big games. You know, I think about that Michigan game um, in 20, what was that, 2019? Um, I think about the game out in Iowa, he won. I think about the Cotton Bowl. I think about, I mean, there's been some games he has put together and, and won and, and played well in. Even go back to the Ohio State game, Sean. He played really well. He had that one bad interception, but and he obviously got sacked and, and had that fumble. But really, as far as not being 100%, I thought Sean Clifford played pretty admirably against Ohio State on the road with no sort of running game. So you just the biggest thing to me, Sean, about Sean Clifford, I know I'm saying a lot of Sean's here. If, and by the way, I think it, I find it hard to believe Nick Singleton isn't going to be the guy. That's everything we're already hearing. It seems like Nick Singleton's going to be the guy. It's giving me the same kind of feeling that we heard from from Saquon Barkley when he was in camp. If Nick Singleton, and, and to his credit, Kevon Lee, are able to be good enough and give Sean Clifford a little bit more help, I really think if Sean Clifford's healthy, and Mitch Gerber talked about it on the episode last week, when he's confident, he looks pretty good. Well, not, what gives you confidence? Being a, a good group of receivers, which we think Penn State has, um, a good group of tight ends, by the way, too. Potentially an improved offensive line, which I like that James Franklin did not talk about the improved offensive line and, and guaranteeing that they were going to be good. He said he's just going to let them prove it. Um, Me too. And what we think is going to be an improved running game. And everyone's talking about Singleton and Lee. I also want to just throw out Katron Allen because – Besides Devon, Devin Ford, there's another Devin. Um, Katron Allen might be one of the better pass blockers already. I mean, he's getting a lot of credit for his pass blocking. And if you're a, a true freshman running back trying to get more playing time, that's one of the best ways to do it. Being able to be not just a liability. You know, if you're a liability, you're never going to play very much as far as uh, getting extra reps in the passing blocking situations. Um, I already forgot the guy's name. Uh, the running, the transit from uh, Baylor last year. John Lovett. Love it. That's one of the reasons why he didn't play very much. He he didn't end up having that great of ability in the pass blocking, um, and that's why Ford got a little bit more of those reps. I I think all those things work the right way. I think Clifford, and we already saw him have the confidence, obviously before the injury. I think Clifford is good enough, Sean, to kind of get to the the bottom of. The rebuttal. I think he is good enough to to get you to be a playoff team. Um, I don't know if he was that you know good enough a couple of years ago, but I'm 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 buying stock in John Clifford as far as what I saw before his injury, and then even after the injury, what I saw in the Ohio State game against some of the best talent. Um, yeah, I think he. I don't know if he has Trace McSorley moxie. But I think he has enough competitive moxie in big-time games. I mean, he stepped up in the Auburn game and had a really good game. And I think as far as going on the road and playing Purdue to start the season and playing Auburn in Week 3, like I, as far as quarterbacks in college football, he's the guy I would take in those situations. Not a lot of people have played more football than Sean Clifford. Yeah, and your point about how 
Sorley was an unproven commodity in 2016 and had some rough games early on in 2016, and we already know what Clifford could do. I'm kind of like, exactly? We already know what he could do, and we did it, and the unknown was there with Trace. Because, well, you know, there were some tough games in 2016. Um... There were only four games in the sample size. We really know what we're getting with Cliff. And I don't discount what he's done in big games. He has um, played relatively well. He played well against Michigan. He played well against uh, he played well against Michigan twice. Um, he played well against Auburn. And he, he overall he played okay against Ohio State this past season, um, but again he still had the big turnover at the end, and it's hard. And I know guys have turnovers against good teams. I get it, but he 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 messes up in big situations sometimes, and that's just being realistic. And I still think the ceiling and the realistic expectation, if all goes according to plan, and offensive line. And linebacker is 10 wins with probably 11th and 11th win coming in a Rose Bowl game or uh, some kind, some major bowl game. But getting the playoffs is really, really difficult. You have to, they're going to have to beat Ohio State. It's very hard to make the playoffs and not beat Ohio State. And he hasn't done that yet. And it's not just he hasn't done that yet. The team hasn't done that yet since 2016. We haven't beaten all. We haven't beaten Ohio State since the Obama administration. Like it's time to just get off the snide and do it. Okay, Sean, and, hold on. But, because yes, Trace McSorley technically beat Ohio State, and he did have some of his moments. But let's not let's not act like Trace McSorley lit the world on fire in that game. And also, Tra- and Trace McSorley, although didn't have a great running attack, he still had Saquon Barkley to throw the ball to. Um, and who knows, maybe this receiving core will end up being as good as a 2016. But, I mean, look at some of the guys in that 2016, you know, Gusecki and Hamilton and um, and Godwin. There was a lot of future NFL talent that surrounded McSorley. And, oh, by the way, McSorley played terrible against Michigan in 2016. McSorley played pretty terrible against Pitt in 2016. On top of that, down to his very still. down to one of his last games in 2016 through an interception against USC that ended up costing them the game. So I mean I get what you're saying. I just don't think Trace McSorley was that much different than Sean Clifford. Trace McSorley threw interceptions in bad moments too. And I'm not saying I all I'm trying to say is I think it's easy to to romanticize Trace McSorley, but there was a lot of 50-50 balls he threw up there in his game because his guy came down with it. Now, to be fair, he threw those balls, and I don't know if Sean Clifford throws enough of those balls. Uh, well, I guess he probably did enough to John Dotson last year, but typically he hadn't really done that too much. Um, but I, I just don't know if it's fair to, to, to point at the good things McSorley did and then the bad things that Clifford and, and literally we're just thinking that way because McSorley at the end of the day was able to win a Big Ten championship – and Cliff and beat Ohio State and Clifford hasn't done either of those things, which is I get that that's fair, but I also think McSorley, when it's all said and done, has had more help than what Clifford's had all the way around from the offensive line to the receivers to 
having one of the best running backs of all time in your backfield to having a, a not necessarily a really good defense, but a good enough defense in, in 2016 and 2017. I, I I just don't know if it's fair, Sean. Well, last year's defense, in my opinion, was better than 2016 and 2017. Yes. I, w- um, I would agree with that. And yes, he had Saquon. Totally fair. <laughs> Nobody's had Saquon at Penn State outside. Uh, well, hack at him. Um, but <laughs> nobody has had an elite level Saquon like Trace did. Um, the receiving core, I, I think, was also better in 2016, 2017. Um, but Trace just made things happen. And do we think, after falling behind 28-7 in the Big Ten Championship game, would you rather have Sean Clifford or, Adam, or would you rather have Trace McSorley? I'd rather have Trace McSorley. Um, and it's not particularly close. And I, I really I really didn't want to turn this into a Trace versus Clifford type thing because it's just the aggregate. And, make, and finding a way to finally beat Ohio State. We lost twice with Trace McSorley to Ohio State in 2017-2018. We played better in 2017-2018 than we did in 2016, and we lost both the games. Uh, 2019, I don't blame on Clifford at all. He got hurt, and they weren't. we weren't as good. 2020, we weren't as good. Uh, and last and last year, um, yeah, he, like, I agree with you. He played okay, but he saw that he still had the, uh, the bad interception at the end, and it's not to say everything's on Cliff. It's not all on Cliff. If John Lovett doesn't run out of bounds last year and come back in, we might have won the game. Uh, we came very close. That was a very winnable game. The defense did everything they had to do to win. But they, fe- but they fell short. And also, um, just saying, James Franklin's got to be better in a lot of these games to get us to the playoffs as well. He's never been there, and he's just and he's got to find a way to do it. I'm not taking the bait, Sean. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not going down the James Franklin conversation. We had two episodes, deep dive into Franklin's tenure so far, and what we expect. If you haven't listened to those, go back a couple months and listen to those. I'm not taking the bait today. We have other things we need to talk about. We can talk about that later. I'm not talking about that today. Damn it! I know you threw. You tried to hook me. You tried to lip hook me. You almost got me. Almost got you. Um. Sean, speaking of Ohio State, we got to preview Ohio State still. Also, I wanted to get your quick um, kind of just notes on what you're looking for um, as far as camp or what battles you're you're most interested in. Do you want to do the Ohio State preview first, or do you want to do the uh, you know what battles or what things to keep an eye on as summer camp starts? Uh, let's do camp first. Okay, let's do camp. Well, I'll start with my the biggest battle for me and which the, the one I'm most interested in. And that does come – it's not even necessarily a battle, but the linebacking depth as a whole. Like where is it all going to come from? Who is it going to be? As far as everything I've been hearing and reading, they feel a lot better about Tyler Elson and Kobe King at the mic position. Every, they both thought they were way ahead of where they thought they were going to be at the end of spring. And as we headed through summer here, they, they seem to be feeling pretty good about it. That was a Manny Diaz conversation. That was a Kobe King conversation I read. So it, it seems like they feel better than they thought they were going to at the mic position. So that's great. Now, 
as far as the other side of things, do we really think Sutherland's going to start at one of the outside linebacker spots? Like, is that something like no one's talking about anyone else playing there? And I'm just like, like, are we just going to go to a four-two-five, and he's never really going to be on the field, and we're just going to have Daquan Hardy out there, or we're going to have a Jalen Reed out there, or we're going to have a Zaki Wheatley out there, or a Keaton Ellis? Are, are, is that what the plan is? Or are we literally because we can't do that against a Michigan? Like, we're going to have to have three linebackers on the field. And that third linebacker is Jonathan Sutherland. I don't feel very good about it still, Sean. So I'm more curious, not necessarily in the battle between Kobe King and Tyler Elson, although I am. Um, is Charlie Catcher going to step up? I mean, what is going on at that other spot? Um, we know Curtis Jacobs is going to be a lock. But, like, what is the plan there? Because I can't, after seeing the blue and white game, and maybe we're too harsh on the guy. Because he is a team captain and he's very valuable in the locker room, but he cannot, he should not be starting. Unless things have really changed, he should not be starting at any linebacker spot um, for for the for the Penn State and the Lions heading into the season. So that that's to me the biggest thing. Because Devin hit the question right on the head. If they pull their weight, well, if they're going to pull their weight, then either Sutherland's going to have to step up or, or someone else is going to. Um, because, yeah, we don't have to play three linebackers all the time. But when we do, who are they going to be and are they going to be good enough? And I just don't – I don't know. I want to see maybe some of the young guys, maybe Abdul Carter, maybe uh, Keon Wiley. I don't know. Maybe um, – who am I thinking? Uh, maybe uh, Budden. I don't know. Someone else has to step up. Sean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, totally agree at linebacker. Um, the, the, the coaching staff seemed weirdly very confident about the two other positions, the strong side and weak side linebackers. Um, while I totally understand being confident about Curtis Jacobs, we sure were comfortable with Jonathan Sutherland. Um, did, have we watched the same guy for five years? Um, and Yes, he brings a lot of value in the locker room, and he's a great leader. He's a good special teams guy. I just never saw a Big Ten starter, a, a, a quality Big Ten starter on defense at any position from Jonathan Sutherland. And I was really just unimpressed by his performance in the blue-white game. But they seem very confident about what they're going to be doing. And like you said, maybe they're going to run just a bunch of four-two-five. And if that's the case, fine. Um but it's just odd. Um, and as far as the Mike linebacker spot goes, I really like what I'm hearing about Kobe King. He gives me a lot of Jason Cabinda vibes. He's hosted a lot of guys on their recruiting visits. I, he either hosted Rojas or Robinson um, on their visit. And he just he gives me those good leader good player, maybe not the most talented player in the world, but he's just always in the right spot, smart kid. And I really, really like him. And I've heard a lot of good things about Tyler Elston. I believe he was injured through part of spring camp. But uh, when he had, when he was available, he seemed to, he seemed to do pretty well. Um, So that's one to look out for. I would probably give Kobe King the edge based off what I know. Um, As far as other recruiting, uh, uh, not so recruiting focused um as far as other position battles uh safety position um we already know jair brown has one of the safety spots locked up but jalen reeds key wheatley 
would like to see uh, what come what comes out there. And running back. And I think they're going to do a lot of running back by committee, probably throughout the whole course of the year, to try to keep everybody happy. But you wonder who's going to be the guy taking the uh, lion's share, no pun intended, of the carries late in games when you need a yard or two. Who's going to be taking those carries? Is it going to be Singleton? Is it going to be Lee? Is it going to be Devin Ford? Um, it's going to be that that's an intriguing battle. I tend to agree with, I think we're, we're in alignment here that we think by the end of the year, Singleton's going to be starting, but Kevon Lee is the incumbent and Singleton's probably going to have to find a way to force the staff's hand and, and the staff will have to find a way to just keep him on the field. And I think eventually that's probably going to happen, but we don't know that yet. We haven't seen him play it down yet at Penn state, but we're super, super confident about him. Yeah, the yeah, I I think you're right on all those things. Uh, safety position battle, I think I'm not even concerned of what ends up happening. Um, I really think Keaton Ellis might end up getting the nod just because of his experience. But yeah, I think forgot we, about him. You're right. I think we I think Wheatley's going to end up playing a bunch somewhere, and I think with his size, I would rather them float him down. He can play kind of that extra linebacker if needed, and and uh uh. My goodness! Now I can't think of his name. Who who did you just mention? The other safety played last year. Jalen Reed. Jalen. Yes, Reed. I think Reed can come down. He he's a hard hitter too. I think he can come down and and, and play in the box if needed sometimes too. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to be okay there. Running back again. We talked about it. Kaziah Holmes also is he going to ever step up and be something? Because this if so, this is the year for him to do so. Um, they have the talent. I'm not too concerned about the running backs. Um, offensive line is an interesting one, too. I think, I truly think, because remember, at right guard, Sal Warmly was mm-hmm. penciled in as a starter before he got hurt. Hunter Norzad comes in from Cornell, and there's a battle there, assuming Landon Tangwall gets a left guard spot. Um, I think Warmly ends up getting the nod, at least a start. He's been in the program longer. He was penciled in as a starter. If he's 100%, it's hard to imagine he doesn't get the nod over uh, Norzad. That being said, if they struggle, if they struggle at the left tackle position, let's just assume uh, Olu Fashanu struggles there, and that's a not really a fair assumption because he played pretty well against Arkansas, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. You could theoretically move Landon Tengwa out to left tackle, and you could move... Uh, warmly or Norzad to one of the other guard spots and play both of them. You could also, the way Nick Dawkins has been doing well in camp, you could also move Scruggs to guard, although Juice prefers to be at center. He played some guard. Um, so there's a lot of different pieces you can do on the on the inside of things because Landon Tangwa is able to play on the outside. So um, that's something to pay attention to, especially if there's an injury. I mean, at some point, I think Tangwa is going to be playing some tackle. That's just the nature of college football so i i am curious to see how that all ends up but yeah i basically you want to see if norzad's going to be able to be good enough to push warmly for that gig because if he's good enough to start that gives them so much more flexibility because they can play tangwa wherever so you could basically if you know your two guard spots are going to be okay with warmly or norzad now you have landon tangwa to play at guard 
But if you need him to, you can move him to tackle or, or, or whatever the case may be. So that would give them a lot more flexibility. And if you have six to seven guys you feel really good about instead of maybe only five. So that's something to pay attention to. If Norzad wins the job, then you feel really good as far as, well, as long as Wormley's healthy, you feel really good as far as the depth, at least on the interior three side of things. So um, curious how that one goes as well. And then I just want to mention the the punting and the kicking situations. It sounds like, I, I don't know how, maybe just because of experience, that Pinnaker has a little bit of a lead in the place kicking duties, which just surprises me because Sahadek is just, you know, he creamed the ball when we when when he was kicking in the blue and white game. But what do I know? Um, and he has a way better leg. The only thing I'm thinking is they may want to use Sahadek for just the kickoff duties and have Pinnaker as the place kicking duties now. And, and by the way, Pinnaker can be his old self when he was like 90% field goal for that one, I don't even know how long ago that was, 2018, 20, 2019 maybe? No, I think it was 2018. Um, then okay, whatever, you, you roll with it. But So I'm interested to see what happens with the kicking situation as they head through camp, and obviously the punting situation, uh, uh, Paqueta coming onto campus. Um, Barney, I didn't know this about Barney Amore and how he, where was he? He was at somewhere where um, a previous coach was there too, and, and now I'm forgetting, but but he has he has some experience with some of uh, some of the old staff members I was reading about the other day. So I would not be surprised if Amore ends up getting um, a potential serious look there at, at the putting duties. So they got a lot of options as far as depth is concerned. So um, I think they're going to be okay, but that's another battle. Two, you know, Jordan South did everything, so they're going to need two to three guys to step up big time there. Yeah, and punter is always a very underrated position. Uh, shout out to Pat McAfee. Um, you because when you don't have one or you have a bad one, you really, really notice. Uh, look back to the pre to the pre Blake Gillikin days. There were some tough days. And if you needed your puncher to get you out of a jam, you just knew it wasn't going to happen. They're probably going to compound the issue. And you really, really want a solid one. And Alex Paqueta, he had, he comes from Blake Gillikins High School. He has his blessing. So he's probably going to start. But Barney Amore, and, you know, the, the reports are he did pretty well uh, in the spring. But it would just shock me if we weren't starting our scholarship punter. Um Kicker, I agree with you. I don't know why Sahadak isn't starting. It's puzzling to me, but we're not at practice every day. And if Pinnaker's better at practice, and Franklin has said that they just that they track everything with the kickers, and they just tend to go with whoever has the best numbers. So if that's the case, I think that's the best way to approach it. So if that's the case, that's the case. And maybe they don't want to put too much on Sahadak's plate yet. He's only a redshirt freshman. And I understand that, too. If they just want him doing kickoffs and next year he'll worry about doing uh, doing the place kicking duties as well. I get that logic. I do. Um, the guard spot, I agree with you. It's going to be probably the most competitive spot on the line. Can't see the moving juice Scruggs from center to guard. He just he did well there last year. And it seems to be where he's most comfortable with. I love having a good center, um, having a you know, a real mauler in front of the quarterback. I think it just gives you a bit of an edge. Um, the guy that doesn't get talked about a lot, 
and I really don't know why this happened, why this hasn't happened. Um, so Caden Wallace, Caden Wallace was recruited as a guard. And it's kind of a running joke on message boards that we have so many guards and not nearly enough tackles. And it's kind of true. It does have some validity to it. I would have liked to see maybe Wallace get looks at guard and maybe move Tangwall out to tackle. Because Tangwall did play a little bit of tackle last year. So I don't really know why we do, we're so dead set on having Wallace as a tackle and not a guard. When we know Wallace has struggled a little, he has struggled to tackle. So why not just put him in, put him in his position where he's most comfortable at? Theoretically, I don't know for sure if he's most comfortable there, but I know he was a he was considered out of high school to be a great guard prospect and a good tackle prospect. So, the, um, well, they I, had they had we talked about that in the spring. That was something that was going to happen, and mm-hmm. and Trotwine kind of shut that down pretty quickly. So that was something that was hinted at maybe for. A, a month but yeah that that never came to fruition yeah i mean i would like to see it but maybe they have their their reasons um yeah a uh, tight end i think theo johnson might have the edge there but we're going to see a lot of him and brenton strange and uh and tyler warren so i think we're going to see a lot of all three of those guys this year um probably we'll see theo johnson on the field more than the rest of them but that's just kind of my hunch. Um, yeah. And the receiver position, everybody behind Parker Washington um, and probably Lambert Smith. So interested to see what, what freshmen step up, um, what redshirt freshmen step up. And yeah, that, that's those are pretty much all the battles. And maybe you could say back a quarterback. But I think Mayu has an edge there right now over the two freshmen. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's pretty much set in stone. Um, let's let's go to Ohio State preview. Um, for people that don't know, obviously on YouTube we are previewing all these teams. We just put Minnesota up this morning, so we're we're a little bit behind, but we're we're catching up. Ohio State will probably come out next two days or so. Um, so make sure to subscribe on YouTube. I think we just hit 300 subscribers on YouTube, so. We appreciate that. I think we're like averaging like 60 something a month on, on new subs. So I thank you guys for going over there and subscribing. Um, Ohio State, really good at football, if people didn't realize. Um, probably the biggest thing to note about Ohio State, Sean, Jim Knowles coming from Oklahoma State to be the new defense coordinator. Ohio State gave up a lot of yards on the ground in like four of their games. Um, they gave up 200 yards on the ground in four games. Minnesota, which probably would have been more if Mo Ibrahim didn't get hurt. Uh, Oregon, which obviously they lost. Michigan, which obviously they lost. And Utah, which they almost lost. Um, so I don't know if they've ever had four games where they gave up 200-plus yards on the ground. But that obviously didn't sit with well with Ryan Day. They actually played pretty well defensively um, in the middle of their schedule. But obviously, um, you lose to Michigan – and the way they lost to Michigan, and all things are kind of on the table there. So Jim Knowles comes in. I know maybe Penn State was hoping to land hit Knowles uh, as soon as Pry, but that that just didn't happen. Man, they got Manny Diaz instead, which I think is a which is a good second choice. Um, Sean, their offense is really good, uh, and their offense is going to be really good. They were number one total offense, scoring offense, number two in third down conversions. They're really good at football, and they're going to be even probably not better. But just as good. Now they lose, 
you think they would take a step back when you lose uh, Chris Olave and you lose Garrett Wilson and you lose two offensive tackles. You'd think they would take a step back, but they still have CJ Stroud, who had video game numbers. And they still have Trayvon Henderson, which, I mean, it's just, he's another gear um, compared to some other guys. He had 19 touchdowns last year. Um, he's going to be, he's already considered a top three back in the country. And then at the wide receiver spot, Jackson Smith and Jigba, with Wilson and Olave doing what they did, Jackson Smith and Jigba was stupid good. 95 catches last year, led the team last year in catches. Again, with those two guys being first-round picks, it's amazing that he did that. Um, Had 347 yards and three touchdowns against Utah in the Rose Bowl. um, And that was without Wilson and Olave playing. So that just kind of goes to show you that they're going to be okay there. Smith and Jigba had a pretty good game against Penn State. He had that one play where he caught that ball, broke someone's tackle, and if it wasn't for Brandon Smith's freakish athletic speed, he probably would have scored. So, But that ended up setting up a pretty big play for them. Um, he's he's really good. He's probably the best receiver that Penn State's going to face. And by the way, they have a lot of other um, guys coming in. Marvin Harrison Jr. is there at receiver. Uh, Julian Fleming, which you just kind of low-key say his name so people don't throw their phone across and stop listening to us forever. But he's there. Um they're going to be okay at the wide receiver spot. Again, they lost two offensive tackles, which you think, oh, no, that's not good. But they got two new guys coming in that are going to be just fine. Paris Johnson, uh, senior, junior, um, he played a little bit last year. He's going to be fine there. I will talk um, a little bit about the defense, Sean, and then we'll, I'll let you talk. And then I'll talk about the only thing I'm concerned with, which isn't very much. On defense, they do lose Haskell Garrett, which that's a big loss, but – Sean, I was looking at their defense, and I think I texted you when I was previewing Ohio State. The amount of talent they have on the defensive line, and you credit Larry Johnson Sr. or whatever, it's stupid good. I mean, there are just – I mean, here are just like a couple names for you. Defensive end Jack Sawyer. Defensive end JT Tumaloau. Tumaloui? Tumaloau. You know, you get it. Uh, defensive end Zach Harrison, who was at one point maybe a Penn State target. Uh, defensive end Javante Jean-Baptiste. Defensive tackle Teron Vincent. I mean, they got names for names for names in the defensive line spot. We're just talking about Penn State's offensive line. This defensive line maybe underachieved a little bit last year um, because there wasn't this huge big name guy. Well, they've got a bunch of guys that that can get after it and are supposed to be really good. Um, and I think everyone's kind of pointing the Zach Harrison to blossom because he hasn't really yet. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be the dude. Uh, Tommy Eckenberg, 64 tackles last year. He's back. But, Sean, the scariest part, you think the defensive line's scary? Their secondary is just stupid. I mean, it, it's just really not fair. So you got Denzel Burke, who had 12 pass breakups last year. You have Cameron Brown, who had seven pass breakups last year. Um, Ronnie Hickman is back 98 tackles led the team last year. Josh Proctor is back. He had a injury, um, for some part of 2021, but he's back. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, 
They bring in Tanner McAllister, who transferred from Oklahoma State, went with Knowles to Ohio State, and he played really well. He's going to play in the nickel for Ohio State this year, but he was an all-star safety for the Cowboys last year. So, like, they have so much depth on the on the defensive backfield. It's just it's absurd. So, um, if people are wondering if the Ohio State defense is going to be better than they were last year, I think the answer is unequivocally yes. Um, with that basic kind of outline, Sean, I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, they sound okay. They sound okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're really good. They're really good guys. They're going to be really good again. And that's Ohio State. I did want to issue a retraction from two weeks ago. Rashad Bateman did play in the 2020 season uh, for Minnesota. Just wanted to say that out of the gate uh, before I start my preview. So CJ Stroud comes back. CJ Stroud uh, was very, very good for Ohio State last year. And he's going to be really good for them again this year. Um, that's just what he does. That's what Ohio State quarterbacks do. They always have good quarterbacks. And it starts at the quarterback spot. And he has a great play caller there in Ryan Day. Um, running back Travion Henderson, he was unbelievable last year as a freshman. Uh, he's going to be really good again. Um, Really, really special prospect, really special player. Um, probably their best running back since Zeke Elliott. And that's pretty high praise because Zeke was a monster in college football. And they've had good running backs since then. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, like Corey said, he lit up Utah last year. Played really, really good in every game. Every game. And, you know, during the season... Um, me and uh, uh, one of our mutual friends, we were like, is Smith and Jigba better than Wilson and Olave? And then we would go back and forth on it, but we were like, well, Wilson and Olave are there, and that's going to make you look better. And then we watched the Rose Bowl, and then you really thought, wow, he might be better. He might just be better than the, than both of them, just in general. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, I've seen him all over Twitter this offseason. He makes un- he he makes stupid good catches. Like he's it's crazy some of the catches he makes. Um, you see a lot of his father in him. Uh, Julian Fleming. I mean, let's let's not. I'm gonna be like Corey. Let's not touch too. Let's not touch on that too much. Um, he's back. Um, interesting to see what he'll be able to contribute this year if anything um the offensive line like i said they do lose some guys to the nfl draft uh they were pretty good they were good last year too uh maybe not one of their best offensive lines that they've had but they were they're they're always good in the trenches and it, it begins with um the tip of the spear so and to have a really good running back like travion henderson usually you need to be able to protect to open up those holes uh and they were able to play really well last year i thought throughout the big 10 except that michigan game but overall i i was pretty impressed by their offensive line last year uh and i agree with you that defense they're going to be better jim Knowles is one of the best defensive minds in college football and he's sort of known for preaching fundamentals and preaching good tackling techniques um get it being opportunistic and getting turnovers and it felt like Ohio State the last two years, really, has been sort of lacking fundamentals. They would miss open field tackles. They would let guy, the, the, 
they weren't even good up front against the run. And you went through all that talent. They shouldn't be having teams run for over 200. They shouldn't have anybody running over 200 yards on them. It just shouldn't happen. So I thought they were kind of, uh, kind of mid at linebacker last year. Um, so I would look for that to improve, uh, their defensive line. I mean, the names speak for themselves, uh, Tula, Tula Mao, um, Jack Sawyer is one of is probably one of the best is one of the best players in the big uh, best defensive lineman in the Big Ten, um, and Zach Harrison, who Penn State fans are probably familiar with from the recruiting trail, and their secondary is always good. Um, you went through the names; they're going they're going to be a problem. It's always an athletic defense, and they're going to get after you. So they're going to be a challenge. Good news is we get them at home. It's not going to be a whiteout, but it should still be a pretty ruckus atmosphere, especially if we're undefeated or only have one loss going into it. So, yeah, I would say I'm looking forward to it, but way too soon to say that. Um, but I, it's going to be a great challenge for us. And I don't want to, I don't want people to think that we have no chance and, oh, well, why should we even show up and play? Um, because we can beat them. And everything I said about their defense, yeah, they underachieved last year, and I think they'll be better. But they still gave up over 200 yards on the ground multiple times last year. Um, Jackson Smith and Jig was really good, but the other guys are pretty unproven at wide receiver. So, uh, the, and we'll see how CJ Stroud will be without having Wilson and Olave there for a full season. Yeah. So, but they're really good guys. Yeah, they are really good. Um, I wanted a little Mayan Williams shout out to the running back spot. I think he's going to play pretty well. I didn't realize how well he did against Minnesota last year. Um, he averaged seven yards per carry too. Um, the only things and I'm curious if they go back to it because I don't think they will because Ryan Day likes to throw the ball. But just this little fun fact for you: they average only 32 carries per game, and that's kind of because C.J. Stroud doesn't really run. He's not, you know, he's not Justin Fields. He's not a Braxton Miller. He he doesn't run unless he has to. He's more like uh, more like Haskins. But even when Haskins was their quarterback. They still ran it 41 times. So that tells me that they're just not running the ball as much, whether it's Stroud or a running quarterback. So what that tells me um, is maybe they're throwing the ball too much. And maybe they honestly, if they would rely on Henderson more, I think they would would have done a little bit better last year um, because he's really freaking good. They threw the ball a lot more than they probably had to. Um And I'm curious what their approach is going to be this season. Because if they run the rock against Penn State, I think it's going to be a tough day for Penn State. Um, But if they throw the ball all over the place, I think Penn State's strength is going to be in the back seven. Um, Especially since the guys we do have on the defensive line are are probably going to be able to get after the passer more than they can stop the run. Um, Besides maybe P.J. Mustafer and Nick Tarburton, I feel like most of those guys are going to be better pass rushers. Um, And I think... That'd be a mistake for Ohio State to throw the ball over the place when they play Penn State. They run the ball, make Jonathan Sutherland stand in the field a lot more. I think you feel better about it, but I don't think they will. The only other thing I want to say 
is they had a bunch of penalties last year. I watched the Minnesota game the other day. Um, they had a lot of dumb. They had a pick, almost six, that was brought back because of a penalty. They had 85 penalties for 770 yards last year. So that is another thing. I'm talking about being clean, Sean, and you mentioned it. That's something they did not do a very good job of last year. Um, and some of that's going to have to be cleaned up. The only other thing about the secondary that I will say is a potential weakness is their corners especially did not get a lot of turnovers. Denzel Burke, one interception last year. So maybe not the most opportunistic, maybe not the, you know, they got some pass breakups and whatnot, but maybe not as far as taking the ball away. Maybe they can be a little bit better there. Um, but that's about it. I mean, that's really kind of like looking for things. Uh, as far as how Penn State matches up with them, look, I think defensively, Penn State could be okay against Ohio State. Like you said, like they're good, but they're are they going to be necessarily much better than they were last year? Like I don't really know. And Penn State's defense did okay last year. Is it going to be a challenge? Absolutely. Um, but I don't think that's the side of the field where I'm like, oh no. My question mark comes on the other side. Is if Penn State can't run the ball because if you look at who did well against Ohio State's defense, it was the teams that were able to run the ball. Oregon went into Columbus and ran all over them. Uh, Minnesota ran really well against them. Obviously, Michigan did. Obviously, Utah did. If Penn State can run the ball, just it doesn't, it doesn't have to be crazy, but if they can have someone run for 100 yards, which I know is saying something because they haven't done that since 2021, uh, since 2020, uh, but if they can, I think that gives them a pretty good chance, but that's a big can, that's a big if. But I think that's the way you kind of beat them. I don't think Ohio State's going to throw or run the ball on you a lot. I think they're going to try to throw the ball a bunch. And I think that works well for for Penn State. Um, and most importantly, the way this game's set up, again, let's just assume Penn State loses to Michigan. Then they play Minnesota and what you'd probably consider a must-win game for Penn State at that point, regardless of what happens at Purdue and Auburn. Then they get Ohio State. So you might have some momentum. You're coming off the whiteout game. Maybe you're feeling really good. Hey, maybe you're undefeated. But whatever the case may be, this is – I think it sets up well for Penn State as far as potentially having some momentum against a pretty good opponent in Minnesota. I think that bodes well. I think it also maybe helps that it's not a whiteout game. Maybe that – I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe – maybe Ohio State comes in a little bit more sleepier than usual. I don't know. Probably not. But maybe they're just not as – because like you said, Penn State hadn't beat them since 2016. Nobody on the team was even there from either side. So maybe they come in a little bit sleepy. I don't know. If you're trying to bet on this game, don't. But if you are, the betting man says Ohio State wins, and that's that's pretty obvious. But I agree, Sean. As far as years to beat them, I think this is a year where there is a chance. You have them at home. You have have some question marks. But – Got to feel pretty good. I mean, you go back to whatever that 20, I guess it would have been 2019. When they went out there and we were both, I mean, I was like, eh, I don't really know how much of a chance they really have to win. They played really well and Chase Young did his thing and whatever. But I feel better going into this year's game than I did 2019 or even 2020. Um, I think they have a chance. Uh, and they have a chance against everybody, to be fair. But I think they have a chance in this game. Obviously, they're going to be really good, but you have them at home. And when you have them at home, Penn State, 
plays Ohio State at home, usually Ohio State averages like a touchdown less on offense, and usually their defense gives up like a touchdown more. Uh, for the blog, someone did a PSU analytics, did a huge thing on it, and how basically teams average a lot less points at Beaver Stadium, especially in wideouts, but in general. Um, I don't think that will be any different, whether the game's at noon or whether the game's at 3.30 or 4 o'clock or whatever the case may be. Um, I think this. I think Ohio State will play worse than they will the rest of the year. Will it be enough? I don't know. Yeah, it's. I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, it's well, it's going to be a tough game to win. Um, it's not like some foregone conclusion that we're definitely going to to lose to them. And you brought up a good point with Wilson and Olave. I mean, how much better are their offense? Is their offense going to be this year? And I thought our defense played really, really well. And I really kind of think that's the way you beat Ohio State if you're Penn State. If you let them get to 40 points, you're dead. It's just very hard to win a shootout with Ohio State. But you have to force them to kick field goals. Because they're going to score. They're going to move the ball. They have too many playmakers not to. But forcing them to kick field goals. Uh, Noah Ruggles is an excellent kicker. So he's not going to miss too many of them. But at the end of the day, three is less than seven. Or, or six. So let it, making them kick field goals and taking advantage of the opportunities you have. And <laughs> in a way, that's just football. But that's really what you have to do. Um, if you force C.J. Stroud into a, to throw an interception or you force a fumble deep in your own territory, like what happened last year against Michigan, um, little bit of a tangent um when we for when ebicady forced to fumble um on Cade mcnamara last year against michigan i was at the game and i said to my brothers if we score a touchdown here we're gonna win if we don't we lose and i really thought it all came down to that we kicked the field goal we lost so making those plays getting into the end zone not kicking field goals but us scoring touchdowns when we have those opportunities, that's going to make a difference. And it's kind of a simplified way of looking at it. But really, I think that's what these types of games come down to, especially when you're a team that doesn't have as much talent. The Penn State just doesn't have as much talent as Ohio State. That's not the end of the world. Utah had Ohio State beat last year. They should have won the game, but they blew it late. So we could definitely do it. And I love that we're at home, um, but I would still, just based on history, based on what has happened, and based on the teams, I would give Ohio State the edge to win this one. Right, right. And and that's where Penn State wants to be, right? I mean, that's where, um, you know, Penn State wants to get to. And, and the fact is, they're probably not going to ever be the same you know, monopoly that Ohio State has right now. It's just not probably going to happen just based off of where Ohio State is uh, location-wise in Columbus. And, you know, just it's just probably not going to be the case. But they can get closer. And at some point, you have to prove you can beat Ohio State again. Um, and I think the 2016 has kind of worn off, and they've played well against them a couple times. But I think you have to win this year or you have to win next year. And you got them at home this year. So you better... You better have a pretty good excuse for why you, you, you didn't win if, you, if you're unable to get the win. Um, 
But I think this Ohio State preview, it always comes back to like where Penn State wants to be. And I'm, I'm no shame admitting that. I mean, that's just the case. Um, they have the better team overall. And maybe it's just because they have a better quarterback consistently, but they have got better guys on the offensive line. They got better guys on the defensive line. And, you know, majority of the time, you just want that, right? Usually that's going to give you the bigger advantage, a better quarterback, and better in the trenches. But crazier things have happened. And like I said, it really depends, John, on what the season is at this point, right? I mean, if Penn State loses to Purdue and they lose to Auburn, they lose to Michigan, there are three losses going into this game. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's better, actually, to play Ohio State. But if they beat, you know, two of the three of those wins or those teams, and they're going in with just one loss and just off of a Minnesota primetime game, like, all of a sudden, maybe they control their own destiny a little bit, especially if the one loss is to Purdue or to Auburn and they somehow beat Michigan. So it's hard at this point to know what or how this game's going to matter. Um, because it's so far away. And again, this is something we're going to be probably, we're going to have to probably end up doubling up on some of these teams here towards the end. Um, but Sean, I, I just have a feeling that, and, and Sean Clifford is one of the guys that's like, I want to beat Ohio State. Well, the, you know, you only get so many chances, and Sean Clifford's got a couple extra chances, and this is his last chance. So I guess we'll see, right? I don't know. Yeah, and it would be cool to see Cliff beat Ohio State. That that's the home that that that's his home state. So it'd be it'd be awesome for him to beat to beat Ohio State to kind of put a you know an end to his to his career to his college career. Um, so I have a fun question, but it's kind of an annoying question, um, and it's not about this year. If Grant Haley doesn't score on the black kick. Does Penn State win that game in 2016? Let's just say he gets out of the 20-yard line. I'm, I'm going to say, yes, he does. But yes, they do score. I'm, so, you th- I, so you think yeah. we win still? I don't know if they would have been able to drive all the way down the field if, like... Okay, um, let's say... Yeah, let's say the punter who's the fastest punt... Who's the fun, fastest... Um, or the kicker, who's the fastest kicker in the world, catches them at the ten. You think we're able to score? Yes, but I don't. Okay. I don't think um, if John Reed intercepts it and they have to go eighty yards, yep. I don't. I don't know if they were able to do that. But I agree. I think. I think from the ten or something like that, they would be able to. But again, that was credit to the their defense and keeping them in that game and. And really, I mean, you go back and watch the Penn State Ohio State game from last year. Sean Clifford was on it, and the offense was vibing. And even though he wasn't hundred percent healthy, if they could just got a little bit more help in the running game, where Sean Clifford wasn't having to do everything, like that might be in that scoop and score right before the half. And credit Penn State for going right back down the field and getting a field goal right before the half. Otherwise, it would have been a completely out of it. But that, to me, and I keep coming back to it, but that to me was. When I really believed in Sean Clifford, you know, after the Illinois game, everyone left him to death, you know, to, to, to die. And he played well enough. I know he didn't play great. He had the interception late, but he played well enough with very little help from anyone else. I mean, what Noah Kane fumbled. I mean, the, the beginning of that game, Ohio State fumbles and Noah Kane gets it right back to him. You're like, oh, God dang it. Um, 
didn't get much help from anybody else. I mean, as far as on the offensive offense is concerned, um, I don't know. That to me proves that Sean Clifford has the ability to beat Ohio State and has the ability to win the big games, and and most importantly, he has the fighting spirit to do so. And you want those kind of guys. You want to go into battle with those kind of guys. So I'm I'm not saying I would take Sean Clifford over C.J. Stroud or anything like that, but. I really do believe, and maybe I'm just optimistic and I want the good story to end well for Sean Clifford, but I do believe Sean Clifford has what it takes to beat Ohio State, and he has what it takes to to take that next step. And I think we saw some of that um, before his injury, and then we saw his at least competitive spirit um, in that Ohio State game when he wasn't even 100%. So is that going to be enough on its own? No, he's going to need some help, but so did Trace McSorley. So did anyone else that's ever beat Ohio State. And typically, when Penn State did beat Ohio State, it wasn't because of the quarterback. So, I mean, think about the last time Penn State, you know, or all the times Penn State's beat Ohio State. Most of the time, it's because of the defense. And, I mean, you could probably go back to 1994 was the last time where it was, like, literally just because of the offense. And Ohio State wasn't very good. But, I mean, think about all the other times – Maybe, I guess, in 05, but most of the time, it's always been because of the defense. Sometimes our quarterbacks get hurt and someone else comes in and finishes the job to get, you know, to, to, to win the game. So I, it's hard for me to be like, oh, it, it's going to be, you know, all on Sean Clifford. I really think it's going to be if, especially because we talked about this Ohio State defense, can Lee or Singleton or Allen or somebody run the rock enough to keep the defense honest. Because you go back and watch that Minnesota game early in the 2021 season, their linebackers were going so downhill. If Penn State can get that again, I mean, they're going to be so many holes open for Sean Clifford. And and that sets up big things. And I think that's what Sean Clifford needs to beat a lot of good teams, but especially Ohio State. Yeah, it's a group effort for sure. For sure. And no doubt about it. Everything's got to be top-notch to beat them. Offense, defense, special teams, coaching, everything. Um, like you said, the big play in that game was Noah Kane fumbling uh, and giving the ball right back to them after we got a turnover. Like, that stuff can't happen. It can't. And if, if we're able to take care of the ball, and, you know, something James Franklin talks all the time about, and I think he's right. Winning the turnover battle, winning the explosive play battle, if you're able to win both of those, just those two on their own, you're going to win, like, an astronomical amount of your games, like 95% of your games. So making sure you do that, um, especially just winning one of them gives you a big edge. Uh, splitting them, uh, it probably is a wash at that point. But taking care of the football getting those explosive plays, um, that that's all part of it. And somebody who we haven't talked about yet in this preview is Parker Washington. Parker Washington played pretty well last year, if memory serves me correctly, against Ohio State. And he's going to have to step up in not just this game, but every game, being the number one guy at receiver. And, you know, Cliff's obviously got to put him in position, and the coaches have to put him in position to succeed. And let him cook. And very excited to see how Mitchell Tinsley plays into this as well. Because you need those explosive guys on the outside to go up and make plays for you. Uh, In 2016, if we want to point back to that, 
we had Chris Godwin getting that touchdown right before the half. And that ended up really, uh, you know, we, we didn't play that well in the third quarter, but it gave us that late touchdown at the end of the half to really keep us in the game. So you need things like that to happen. Right, 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 right. And you could argue that those things, you know, are are definitely in the cards for Penn State. But obviously, this is Penn State's hardest opponent. And nobody is going to bat their eye if Penn State loses this game by eight. People are like, oh, yeah, that's pretty typical. So, um, Sean, I think that's, that's good. Let's put a bow on it. We're happy football is officially back. Um, hopefully, we'll have more news in the recruiting front and the camp front as we head into August. But we're here, baby. We're doing this thing. We're back. So, John, enjoy the rest of your vacation. Thanks for uh, spending an hour and a half of your time with us this morning. Um, guys, again, Minnesota Preview is out on YouTube, so please subscribe there. If you made it this far and you're not subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you do that. And share it with a friend, just one other Penn State fan. Uh, please share the podcast with them. Hopefully, we will talk to you soon. Be back on Sunday, most likely, recording. Um, so you guys have a fantastic week. And happy start of camp. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.